Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza Power! That's right, when Super Giant Pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. This is week four of our show. We, I am very excited for what's to come. So today we have something a little different for you because our guest today is someone who I do not know, who I do not have a personal history with. But I am excited to sort of be expanding the different kinds of people that I am talking to. And like I said, we got more coming up. I'm very excited. So this week's guest is going to be Catherine DeFeo. She is an artist over at WayForward, which is one of my favorite game companies. So I'm going to try not to geek out. But she has a really interesting background in different kinds of art and doing different roles within the game industry. So it should be a really great, exciting conversation, and I hope you will join me after the musical break. And within that break, we are going to be listening to our artist of the week, which is Defense Mechanism. This is more of a traditional kind of chiptune artist than we've had in the past, but traditional, always good, always got some good stuff going. But anyway, his album that just came out recently is called Slycology. It's super good. And the intro track we are going to be going with is called Casting Shadows. So I hope you enjoy, and we will see you after the break with the interview. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Casting Shadows by Defense Mechanism. And we are here with the start of our interview of the week. Now, I am very excited for this special guest. As I mentioned before the break, this is the first guest of the show when it is someone entirely new to me that <laughs> we are meeting virtually for the first time, not someone I've known from the past, but equally eager to connect with. And I think we're going to have a lot of good stories to share. So this is Catherine DeFeo. She is an artist over at Way Forward. And uh, yeah, say hi, Catherine. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show for a total stranger. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you've listened to the show a few times, so... I mm -hmm. guess you have an idea of how this goes down, but, you know, I start, I start off every time with, when did you know you wanted to work on games? Wow. I, I knew pretty early, um, that I wanted to, to work on games without really even knowing like how, <laughs> how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, I was probably about three or four. Uh, when I started playing games and um, I would watch my brother play as well. And I would draw these little, I'd put these little books together um, and they were always of scenes from my favorite games. I remember oh. Dr. Mario was one of them, um, an old NES game called Snake Rattle and Roll. Oh, I know that game. Um, mm -hmm. it, has, it has a really good soundtrack. Um, what is, what's another one? Um, Little, Little Nemo, The Dream Master, oh. which is my favorite NES game. Um, and I'd put these little books together where I would draw uh, like almost like very primitive like screenshots from from the games and I'd staple them together and bring them into school and put them in with the rest of the books <laughs> in, in the wow. bookcases and kind of like see if anyone would go up and and take them and read them but um I don't remember if anyone ever did but it was it was pretty it was pretty early on that I realized I wanted to make art for games are they still in the library to this day <laughs> yeah, I hope you know. so. that would be cool yeah. I love the NES, that whole era. I mean, I didn't grow up with it. I was an N64 kid, mm -hmm. but that that has a special place in my heart. I did my college thesis on writing in a game. Have you heard of Worm? Is it, is it Y? Is it with a Y? Oh, w it's with y. a U. W-U. Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Yeah, that is... My favorite NES game, it was like this sci-fi adventure story, and it has like space shooting, it has platforming, it has like RPG elements, and it tells a really cool story. So oh, I wrote cool. my college thesis on it, and I spoke to the creator through an interpreter. So that was really cool. Wow, that's awesome. I don't want to get too off track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess... Then sort of where did you go from there after that initial excitement about games and drawing? Um, well, I I took 
lots of art classes whenever I and wherever and whenever I could growing up um, and just kind of consumed any game that I could, um, any kind of game content. I had a subscription to Nintendo Power awesome. magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that pretty much that uh, enthusiasm, I guess, lasted all the way through high school. And um, I ended up going to uh, a college that a bunch of my friends were also going to that I knew had kind of a, a big kind of like nerd <laughs> uh, population. Um, it's called RIT. Oh, uh, I have a friend who went there. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. When, when did they graduate? Uh, um, maybe like 2015. Okay. Yeah, I was I was 2010. So we oh, okay. We probably missed <laughs> each other yeah. just by a year. But um, but yeah, I, I ended up going there um because I I knew that there was a lot of you know people who loved games who I'd meet there and hopefully maybe like end up getting a foot into the industry mm-hmm. that way. Um, even though it is a it's it's called you know an institute of technology um i actually didn't really do a lot of like digital art when i was there or at least i didn't i didn't learn through the classes there it's probably different now but back back in like 2006 through 2010 when i went there they didn't really offer much as far as digital art goes so Mm. um I kind of went through college doing a very traditional art um, education, uh, but was teaching myself digital painting and um, digital art on the side, which I'm glad I did because (laughs) um, otherwise I'm not sure if I would have ended up, you know, with a career doing art for games. so after after graduating in 2010, I I got my first job uh, right out of school um, at a small local game studio in in Rochester, New York. Um, uh-huh. But it was short lived at first. Um, I was there about six months and then got laid off due to. <laughs> I was told it was budget cuts, but one can never be too sure. Um, But I, I left, I went to Seattle for a few years to try and kind of maybe get back into the industry. Um, And it didn't, it didn't really pan out. But uh, after about two years out there, I was rehired by the same company um, that laid me off uh, originally. And moved back to Rochester, uh, and I've been working in games ever since. So, oh, awesome! <laughs> they didn't know what they had. They didn't realize at the time. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, I was curious. I mean, I'm from Westchester, actually. So, same state, but kind of far. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What's the game development scene like in Rochester? Um, it's actually pretty thriving um because of well partially because of rit and just like the um the school 
of game design that they have there, it, which wasn't there when I went to school there. Uh, this is a pretty new thing. Um, I think it's called MAGIC. The uh, acronym is MAGIC. I forget what it stands for. But um, yeah, they, they have a huge just student population of not just people who want to make games, but people who play games. Um, and there's also a group called Rock Game Dev, which is a mix of students, uh, professionals, and um, uh, hobbyists, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, and we all come together and talk about games, do game jams. There's the Rock Game Dev Festival that gets put on. It used to be put on twice a year, um, but you know, since the pandemic, things have kind of put that on on hold for a bit. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a pretty it's a pretty big community of of gaming people up here. That's cool, and a variety of perspectives too. Mm -hmm. Yep, and the cold weather probably helps people <laughs> stay inside. And yeah, <laughs> for sure, some solidarity yeah. there. Mm -hmm. How would you say you developed your personal style? Hmm. That's a good question. I guess it's, it's a mix of experiences and the things that I was exposed to growing up. Um, and, and just things that I, that I enjoy looking at myself, I guess, show up in my own art. Um, personal style is, is pretty difficult, especially when working in games. Um, if you're not doing things like designing your own characters or like if, if you don't have the authority over what a game is going to look like, then you're, you're expected to, you know, take on the styles of the franchise or the look that is being created by other people. So if you're not doing your own, if you're not putting your own style into the game, then you kind of have to be a chameleon mm. and, you know, take on the style of another, of another artist. So it's, when it comes to my, to my personal style, I guess, that's yeah, that's tough because because a lot of the time I'm I'm being a chameleon and kind of just switching to whatever project I'm working on needs me to to draw like. Um, and I don't I don't have that much time for personal art these days to, to tell you the truth. So yeah, that's that's a tough question to answer. Sure. What are some challenges of that of you know having to adapt to different existing art styles? Um, it's, it's not bad when you have a lot of time on a project. Like if a project goes for like, you know, six months, a year, year and a half, two years, you get kind of used to the visual language that that game is using. Um, back when I was working on more casual games, mobile games, um, web browser games, they were very small and the projects were quick, you know, sometimes a few weeks at a time to, you know, maybe like three months max. 
Um, and that, that was a lot more challenging because you'd be switching from one style to the next, um, so quickly that it can, it can be quite jarring. Um, but you just kind of have to, you know, stay on your, stay on your toes, I guess, as an artist and just okay. kind of like, um, just be adaptable. I don't really know. I don't really know if there's an easy way to explain how to do that other than just, just, just do it and hope for the best. For sure. Uh, and you mentioned that a lot of the stuff that you worked on was like for the casual audience. I think I saw some stuff when I was doing my research, uh, that you worked on some kids games. So what was it like sort of, I don't know, I, not designing, but like using art to communicate to that specific audience of like non-traditional players? Mm. Yeah, I guess the, when, when designing for kids games, especially for like preschool aged kids, um, making things as easy to read as possible, like easy to understand as possible, big buttons, um, you know, colors indicating as to like what to push next or like what to interact with next, um, sounds, uh, using, using sound and music as a indicator. Um, it, it kind of like makes you distill the complexity of, you know, games for adults down to its rawest form to make it easy for, for very young children to be able to look at a screen and be like, okay, like, what do I do here? Um, I think back to the, uh, the floppy disk games I would play as a very young child. My dad had a, an IBM desktop computer and, uh, we had games like, um, lemmings, and there was a tank. Oh, yeah. You remember Lemmings? Yeah, I played that at summer camp. They had a oh, computer lab. That's so Lemmings. cool. Yeah, like um, that one was more complicated, at least for me when I was when I was very young. But um, the first the first game I remember actually playing was this Fisher Price uh, bus driving game, and there was like no UI at all. Uh, it was just you just used the, um, the four directional arrows and that was it. Um, and like now with games designed for the same, uh, kind of like age bracket, it's a lot more complicated than that, even though it's still very, uh, it's still very simple. Um, kids these days, like actually are like scarily good at using things like touch screens and, and uh, devices like that. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Did you did you have to do any like play tests to figure that out? Um, if we did, they weren't at the actual studio uh, that I remember. Oh, like okay. we would do a lot of client work, so the clients would usually take care of the testing stuff. Um, so I'm not really sure how how that would go yeah for sure yeah it's, it's spread out mm -hmm. sometimes uh so you know you've been 
not only making, but playing games for a long time. So from an artist's perspective, how would you say you've kind of seen games evolve over time? Well, I remember the first big, I guess, like evolution was when the N64 came out, um, at least, at least for me. And, uh, I remember, I remember being sad because, um, N64 meant that I wouldn't be able to play Sonic games on it. And I really loved Sonic games. Um, but my brother's friend brought his N64 over to our house one day and seeing Mario in 3D and like being able to run around in a 3D space for the first time, it was, I guess, I guess the only thing that I can compare that to that I've experienced recently is like VR, like, you know, like oh, it's, yeah. it's just like such a different, um, like spatial, uh, experience, um, when you're doing it for the first time and you're like, Oh my God, this is like dreaming, you know, like it's, it's such a strange, um, sensation. So that, that evolution jumping from, from 2d to 3d was a big deal. Um, and now I haven't, I haven't really touched too much VR, but I'm really excited to see where that goes. Um, and just, I mean, games are becoming so much more intuitive, uh, even with the new, um, Pokemon that came out. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I'm so excited to like, I, I don't know if I'm going to get it yet, but the more I see of it, I'm like, okay, I think, <laughs> I think I have to get this. Um, but the kind of like the seamless gameplay instead of like encountering a Pokemon and, going to like the battle screen. Now you just go straight into the battle. Um, it, it's seamless. So I just think like going forward, games are going to become more and more like streamlined in that way. At least not, not all games, obviously it depends on the genre, but um, it's, it's going to be cool seeing where games go as far as like kind of making them seem more like not more like real life, but less kind of like mode switching, you know? Uh, yeah, for sure. That That's definitely what stuck out to me about playing new Pokemon. I do recommend it is, yeah, just how quickly you're moving through the world and it doesn't feel like you're stopping even though you're doing all these different sorts of interactions. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... I, I got to pick it up. I'm like, uh, do I really want to get into a new Pokemon game right now? It's kind of a commitment, but no, I have to. <laughs> I was, I was on the fence too, but the peer yeah, pressure <laughs> brought me in. What would you say, I mean, in terms of what you're able to talk about is the proudest project that you've worked on? Hmm. So at the the small local studio um, that I worked at before Way Forward, um, there was a time where we had the resources to create um, our own IP, uh, which was really lucky. <laughs> um, so 
a group of a group of devs and artists um we kind of like got together well so so the game started actually as an in-studio game jam um the lead artist and the lead dev uh put together a little demo i think it was called originally it was called motherload and um it was just a little uh shoot 'em up um dungeon crawler hybrid and um they made a demo and it was well received by other people in the studio and um we had the time and resources to turn it into a real game so i forget how long the development period actually was but um the game got made we brought it around to conventions um we released it on steam eventually on the switch uh it's called death state yeah it's it's a it's a it's, i think it's a single stick um roguelike uh shoot 'em up or a, a bullet hell not a shoot 'em up a bullet hell and um it was it was just really fun it's it's all pixel art too um it was really fun to to help out on that and then also just kind of be there for the whole process of like how a game is made um you know from conception like all the way through to like finding a publisher or like you know traveling around to conventions showing it to people having them play it directly in front of you getting feedback um you know finding funding like uh it it really was like an entire like the whole um experience of creating a game uh and just being able to to witness that and be a part of that was very exciting and most of all because it was an ip we weren't doing client work it was all you know from from the imaginations of a, a small group of people and that was very exciting wow that sounds awesome it sounds like a really educational mm -hmm. experience absolutely and i guess it was sort of full circle for you as well having grown up on pixel art and games and then getting to do it mm -hmm. yourself yeah it it uh, it's really fun to work in that way um and it's it's funny like i i had never uh really even tried to like learn how to do it myself like while i was in college like i never really thought to myself like huh like how how does pixel art like get made like how do you do that in photoshop um it, it wasn't until i was i was working at um that the studio that i was at uh is called working man um it wasn't until i was at working man uh the art director at the time pete, pete lazarski he um do you know halloween forever have you ever heard of that yes yeah so yeah, he yeah. he Competing. he was the art director there for quite a number of years and yeah so he's the one that like you know got got not only me but a lot of people at that studio like actually starting to make pixel art so props to him <laughs> yeah that's awesome i gonna ask oh yeah yeah so you mentioned a game jam did you do the global game jam this no, year? no not this year um i did oh. one a few years ago but it didn't <laughs> we didn't finish it so I can't say I've ever like properly participated in a in a game jam. Did you? Okay. No, I was I was supposed to, but my plans fell through. I've done them a few times. I mean, the last times I did it was in person 
but and it, it's definitely a cool experience. I think we finished by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, seriously, um, it it gets harder to to do the tw- what is it, twenty four, forty eight, seventy two hour, just yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah, it gets harder yeah. as you get older, for sure. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. So I think here we're gonna take our musical break. Uh, stay right there. And we are going to go into our next song from Defense Mechanism, and that is called Ego Flex. So we're going to go into that now and enjoy. Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Ego Flex by Defense Mechanism. And we are back with Catherine continuing our chat. So when 
was the jump for you from working man to way forward? Was that like an immediate thing or was there like a time in between or what was that in your timeline? Um, so that actually happened uh, in June or July of 2020. So it was, oh. you know, <laughs> the pandemic had started, um, everything was remote and I had wanted to have the option of remote work for a few years. I actually spent a year um, working remote when I was at Working Man um, because I was having some, some health issues for a while. So I moved home um, to my hometown in Connecticut and worked. I worked remotely for a year. It was fine, but you know, it was kind of like expected that I, that I moved back and, and things just worked out in such a way that I did, I did end up moving back to Rochester to like work in the studio full time. Um, but, but yeah, in, in 2020 pandemic had started, everyone was remote. Um, and I had actually reached out to way forward about a year before that, probably like in the summer of 2019. Oh no, it wasn't the summer of 2019. I reached out to them in January of 2020. So it was, it was, it was at the beginning of the year. I remember because I had just gotten back from MAGFest. Oh, I love MAGFest. Yes. Did you go this year? No, I was tempted to, but I had just, uh, I had just, gone home for Christmas and flight tickets were expensive. So I wasn't ready to travel right away again. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I heard that this year was a lot of fun, mostly because like it was a little more like they took it a little more easy this year just because of the circumstances. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, MAGFest is great. So I I had gotten, I'd gotten back from MAGFest and I was, I was looking around. I had heard from another person that I'd known through a discord server, um, that they were looking for an artist. So I applied, um, but this was in January. So, uh, I heard back and they were like, Oh, you know, like we're not really doing remote stuff at the moment. Um, but you know, thanks for reaching out. And then, you know, (laughs) six months later, (laughs) the whole world is, is gone remote. And um, they reached back out and I, uh, I started there. That's awesome. Yeah. So I guess I feel like for most people I know, no, they didn't start at a new job remotely. Like they were at a job and then it went remote. So, so what was it like, you know, joining up with a team from, from a different part of the country? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um I mean, obviously you don't have that in-person kind of like bonding time that you'd have <laughs> at an office, you know, you're not going out to get food with people or just popping by someone's desk to say hi or, um, to ask a question. So like that, I definitely, I miss that just anyway, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm pretty online. So, you know, I have no problem with communicating with people via, you know, text. I feel like 
after a certain generation, we're all kind of just used to communicating that way anyway. Um, so it's, uh, it's been, it's been like surprisingly very easy to get along with the people there. It's an awesome studio. Um, you know, I've, I've been there since, yeah, since July of 2020. So almost two years, year and a half. Um, and it's just, they're, they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I I didn't really have that much trouble, like, (laughs) um, you know, getting to know people and, and, uh, and chatting with people from across the country. That's good. So what's something about sort of your process in general that nobody knows? I have to think about that. I do love using dreams as an inspiration. Um, Yeah. Like whether it's for like how um, like a piece of the HUD moves or like uh, if I need to design like um, a symbol for an icon, I do, I do like to reference dreams, things that I've seen in my dreams. Um, I like to keep a, a dream journal and write down if I have a, a specifically strange or striking or even terrifying dream, I like to write them down and, and reference them later. So, yeah. Any memorable dreams you've had that went into the journal? Definitely. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if talking about all of them on the, on the podcast. Yeah, just one, just one. Let me see, actually. Um, I have... I have a, I, bo- I have both a written journal, like that I keep by my bed. And I also have a, I have a online journal. Oh, Where cool. is it? So let me see if I can bring one up. I do like, you know, writing thoughts down on paper though. I feel like there's something to it, some sort of like power and emotional release that you don't get when you're typing it out. Absolutely. It's, it's same with, I'd say it's same with drawing too. I actually, when I'm not working on, you know, game stuff or like doing day job stuff, I try to sketch with a pencil on paper as, as much as I can when I have time, just because it feels it's, it's a very different feeling. Absolutely. Um, Oh, let me see. Oh, there was, there was this one week a few months ago where every time I'd be, I'd be like walking. It didn't matter if I was like walking through like a city, like a huge abandoned city or like the woods near my childhood home. I would look down at my feet and I wouldn't be wearing shoes. I was always barefoot. And then I would wake up. Wow. (laughs) So like, I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) the sim- the symbology of of it all is very fascinating to me. I love that yeah, stuff. Is. I think there's a book called um The Art of Symbols or um like The History of Symbols, which is really cool. It's like a big book. It's like a textbook and that's a really good reference if people need inspiration for not not for just art but for like 
making stuff for games or like coming up with ideas for, for games. That's uh that's a really cool resource for, for just like seeing what imagery has been used over and over through time uh, by people to translate certain things. Yeah, that would be, that would be really cool to know about. I'll put, I'll put a link in that uh, in the podcast. Cool. Let me see. Yeah. Dreams are, dreams are full of crazy symbols. Mm. I remember hearing the, composer for Chrono Trigger he famously like the end credits theme of the game he heard in his dream that's so cool oh man I'm gonna have to listen to that now I don't think I've ever heard it oh it's beautiful I mean the whole soundtrack is beautiful but yeah it's exciting and so what would you say your hopes are for 2022 for your career and or for the game industry? Hmm. Well, I guess, I guess my, my biggest hope for not just 2022, but just the future of games is to create an environment for people to work um, in which they feel safe. Yeah. Um, that's like a big, that's a big hot button issue <laughs> for the past couple of years. Um, there's, there's enough room at the table for everybody. And, um, we need to keep the people who care need to keep fighting as, as hard as we can to, um, you know, keep, keep our friends safe, um, and feel comfortable to speak out when they see, uh, injustices being done um you know not not even just in in games but you know the world at large too yeah absolutely so. mm-hmm. I, I mean i have my final question but like was there anything else you wanted to chat about hmm. so so you, you found me on linkedin yes cool yeah i like so i'm always i'm always so curious about about like how people find <laughs> people online just because like, I, I don't really like have like a following of any kind on any social media. So I'm just <laughs> like, where did anyone find me? Um, so, so yeah. How, like, how did you, how did you find me? <laughs> okay. I mean, it actually, it is a funny story because when I was at Carnegie Mellon for my graduate school program, I was on a team of students who were doing a project about game engines. They were making their own game engine, and they were also doing interviews with game engine programmers about how they're made and trying to demystify the whole process of what a game engine is and how it comes together. And so we had made this like huge Excel spreadsheet list of like big engine developers from around the industry. And at the time, uh, you know, for a lot of them, we weren't sure how to contact them. And (laughs) I had like the LinkedIn gold membership. So I had the option to like shoot messages to anyone. And I just figured, hey, why not? Let's shoot our shot here, guys, and see 
if we can get people to talk to. And for a lot of people, it worked. And so when I was looking for people for the podcast, I sort of decided, hey, that approach worked last time. Why don't I just try it here again? And I, I guess I'm trying to, with this, get sort of people who play a variety of different roles in the industry. I mean, it just <laughs> so happened that this year, the second artist in the row, last week I spoke to uh, Owen Watson, who's the lead artist over at Jackbox. And then before that, I had two designers in a row. I spoke to my mm-hmm. friend Naomi, who's at Exploding Kittens, and Chris Chung, who does Cat Lateral Damage. Mm-hmm. And but I do promise in the future for the audience, it's not going to be like two, two, two as far as that is going to be a bigger variety. But anyway, yeah, I guess I was looking for different kinds of people and also just companies I really liked and people who would be interesting to talk to. And so I was going through like, who are the artists at WayForward? And your name popped up and you had it had like the website where I could send you an email. And so I did. And that cool. was, that was the story. That's awesome. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Like I listened, I listened to all the other episodes so far and they've been really great. They're really great Thank conversations. You so much. Yeah, no, this Thank is, this so is much. awesome. So like you, you did this show as a, as a college student as well. That's right. So it was, I was doing like, It was my freshman year of college, my school at a radio station, and I was doing like sort of a gaming talk show. It was more of a news show with my friend, and it was just the two of us, and we, he sort of had other commitments, and so he wasn't able to do it after the first semester or two, Mm -hmm. but I just really loved, you know, talking games, being in the studio, playing music. And so I decided to keep going on my own. And I eventually had the idea to start looking for guests. Boston has an awesome game development scene. I would go to PAXs and meet people. I would go to game jams and some of their little smaller conventions in Boston and make connections and be like, hey, you want to be on the show? And yeah, they'd come into the studio and we'd chat. And it, it was an amazing experience. That's so cool. Wow. And I like how you feature, um, you know, the chiptune artists too. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I have, I have a couple of friends who, who make chiptune stuff. It's, it's such a, it's such like a, an enthusiastic group of people who are like making chiptune music. It's so fun. It is. Yeah. I mean, if you'd be okay with it, could you send me their information so I could reach out to them about stuff on the show? Yes. That would be great. I totally will. Yeah, I'll send I'll send um a link to that book and uh their contact information in an email. Um yeah, if you have if you if you need any other people to talk to, I know a bunch of awesome people who who would love to to talk about stuff. Yeah, that would um, be so great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so then I think we can get down to our last question. You know where I'm going with this. You've listened to the show. What <laughs> is your favorite pizza place? Okay, so you said you grew up in Westchester? That's right. 
So I grew up in Western Connecticut. Okay. Um, and a lot of my family lives, they still live in that area in Westchester and oh, around okay. New York city. So I grew up eating, um, a lot of New York city pizza. <laughs> um, and I think my, our, our place that, that we would go to all the time is raceway pizza in Yonkers, New York. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah. It's a, it's a little, it's a little, little pizza pizza parlor but that's kind of like when I think of pizza like that's the pizza I think of did you ever go to Frank Pepe's no but that name is very familiar yeah they have one close to Yonkers and then they have one in Connecticut which is their original one I forget what city in Connecticut but uh, they're pretty famous in those parts and really good probably my favorite Okay. I think, I think I know what you're talking about. I think it's towards like the middle of the state. Yeah. I definitely see that sign before. It's, yeah. They have a big sign on the highway, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. That's so funny. Okay. And then lastly, uh, where can people find you online? Hmm. I have a Twitter um, I have a Twitch channel. I'm not really on Twitch to like, I don't have like a schedule or anything, but mm-hmm. I, sometimes I hop on there to play games or do art. Um, my Twitter is, what is it? It's at, uh, Juhachi, J-U-U-H-A-C-H-I. Um, and I have, I have an art Twitter, but I made it private cause I'm scared of NFT bots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a concern nowadays. Yeah. So, um, and then my Twitch is um, twitch.tv uh, forward slash Jupiter with two U's and an underscore. So J U U underscore P I T E R. Cool. Out of curiosity, where did those handles come from? <laughs> so, uh, Juhachi is um, Japanese for 18, and mm. my favorite Dragon Ball Z character <laughs> is Android oh. 18. <laughs> and then I just, um, I like the planet Jupiter a lot, so I just kind of threw in the extra U there. <laughs> it worked out. It lined up. Yeah. Android 18 is badass. She's oh, yeah. Cool. She's so cool. All right. Well, I think that about wraps things up. Thank you so much for joining me, Catherine. It's been a blast. Totally. This was really fun. All right. And so we are going to end the show with our final track from Defense Mechanism, and that is Same Song. So let's cut to that, and we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) 